when we consider the spiritual faculties, five spiritual faculties, the normal textbook description always begins with satha, confidence in the Buddha, Dhamma, Sangha. Before one can put effort into the practice, one has to have a certain faith, confidence that it's worth it. So confidence in the enlightenment of the Buddha. That the Buddha was somebody who freed his heart from suffering, the causes of suffering experience liberation, that the Dhamma is a pathway, a method that leads to that. The Dhamma is taught by the Buddha. The Sangha is it's true that there are beings, men and women since the time of the Buddha who have heard the teaching, practiced and realized their own liberation from that time until the present. Through hearing the Dhamma, meeting with disciples of the Buddha, we gain satta. Often refers also to the brightness of mind, radiance of mind that arises on hearing the Dhamma or seeing a Samana a true samana or through even later on reflecting back on our own experience of Dhamma practice seeing how we have changed or benefited from it it's the brightness radiance of mind that arises so we say someone with a lot of sata, a lot of confidence maybe that's a constant source of brightness, radiance to their mind, spurring them on to bring up effort, wiriya, perseverance in the practice, obviously to be balanced by wisdom. One can have confidence in the wrong things sometimes or in the wrong way. But when balanced by the other faculties, then it's a necessary part of the practice. So we have confidence in this path. Firstly from external sources and then gradually over time that confidence becomes internal through our own understanding we can see maybe now we understand more of the Dhamma than we did a few years ago and that's a very clear experience it's beyond doubt there's no doubt this heart, this mind understands Dhamma more than it did before 
which might give rise to our own internal confidence in the practice. And with confidence gives rise to wiriya, effort, and the whole monastic training is designed to bring up effort in human beings. As we have to keep precepts and follow the Vinaya, follow training rules and practices, routines, ways of behavior. All of this requires effort. And the effort the Buddha was talking about in terms of spiritual faculties, it's persistent effort. Obviously one can't set aside the Vinaya one day pick it up, put it down as one wishes. When one comes into the training, whatever level, whether eight precepts or samanera or bhikkhu vinaya, it's something we're taking on daily. It's a training we take on daily, so it requires effort daily, persistent effort. But it has its purpose. It's part of this pathway method that leads to liberation. So with faith, that's what helps us to bring up the effort to keep Vinaya and put effort to be sincere in trying to use the Vinaya and practice, train with it. We can see even though it often seems to be quite external, sometimes it involves rituals and ceremonies, practices which can become the basis for a sort of blind attachment, silapatabharamasa, and just as faith and confidence can be blind faith, blind confidence or false confidence. But when guided by mindfulness and wisdom, then Vinaya is a necessary, useful tool It helps to preserve the heart, what's inside, keep it preserved, protected, secure from the worst of our chilesas, the worst of our bad habits, the worst of our negative tendencies and so on. It's, it's the external of the practice, but it's a protective external shell. Just like a tree growing in the forest, as long as it's got its bark and its sap, then the heartwood remains strong. You see, when trees get hit by lightning in our forest, then the top dies. And then very quickly the bark drops off, the sap is gone, there's no moisture, no, no softwood left. The hardwood in the centre of the tree starts to, is exposed to the elements, so quickly it starts to rot, goes grey, it splits, it rots. It's no longer good anymore. But as long as the bark and the sap, and the softwood is there on the outside, the heartwood of the tree is preserved. The Vinaya is like this, it protects the heart, 
protects us from ourselves, from our own kilesas, which we haven't yet abandoned. As long as we keep the Vinaya, even if we have lots of kilesas, strong ones, difficult ones, stubborn ones, but they can't do us too much harm because they're just kept internal. So they don't flow out through our speech, our actions, and we don't cause harm to anyone. So a Buddhist monk is known, even by non-Buddhists in a country like this, generally we're known as beings that are passive, non-aggressive. Yeah. We live simply, frugal, modest. This is because we have Vinaya, our more extreme defilements are kept in check. They are more tendencies to be more greedy or selfish or exploitative, tendency to be more aggressive, violent, argumentative and so on, kept in check by the Vinaya. Even non-Buddhists can appreciate that in, when they see monks, generally that's what they're expecting. So Samana, Samana is known as one who is not aggressive in a speech or action, not exploitative, and live like a bee going from flower to flower, just taking a little bit of pollen but without damaging the flower, and so on. The Vinaya protects the heart and provides the supportive condition for us to turn our attention inwards to refine our mindfulness and our wisdom to start looking inwards to see where we can really uproot kilesa first by keeping it in check but then actually going to the very root and seeing where it's arising where it's coming up and dealing with it there right there in the heart the kilesa they compare to the a match a matchstick. So inherent in the head of the matchstick is fire because of the chemicals that are stored there. If the conditions are right, you, your matchstick is dry and there's a rough surface and you scrape the matchstick, the head of it, along the surface, then you'll get flame, a burst of flame, and you can set fire to something with that match. So the most deeply rooted kilesa we have are the uh, anusaya, we say, underlying tendencies called proclivities. You might just say that which lies sleeping in our consciousness because obviously Kilesa is not always manifesting, or not always manifesting very strongly. It's kind of lying in wait. So that's like the matchstick that's just sitting there in a box or somewhere on a shelf. Potential for disaster, even say, it could create a whole bushfire, very destructive bushfire from one match. There's potential for all kinds of disaster and things to happen but at the moment it's just a match sitting on a shelf so we all have chelases accumulated chelases 
conditioned by ignorance, avichara, over many lifetimes, many days and years of this lifetime, unaddressed, unobserved, not yet abandoned. So we have these underlying tendencies lying in wait, just like the chemicals in the head of the match. When the conditions are right, then they'll pop up. The match strikes and you get fire. So we have kilesa arising when the conditions are right. I see a certain form, the ears hear a certain sound. The mind remembers something or thinks of something. The conditions are right, kilesa arises. Greed, anger, delusion, one form or another. Sometimes in small minor ways, passing kilesa, sometimes giving rise to very making a deep impression on our mind, on the mind of others, can be destructive, can be, uh, in fact, can be constructive, because obviously even a lot of the productive, constructive things we do in life are still deep down, they're still rooted in kalesa. If the mind is not yet trained and purified in wisdom, compassion, and even they say, ultimately speaking, even the path we're following, you know, keeping the Vinaya, meditating, is still part of Kilesa, but it's on the refined side of the Kilesa, subtle Kilesa, which is easy to see, easy to let go of, and we can practice with understanding that this practice, even though it's still Kilesa, it's for the end of Kilesa. But in the beginning, it's not that refined productive, positive side of Kalesa, it's the coarser, more extreme, more destructive side of Kalesa we're working with. But just keeping the Vinaya, we keep our worst tendencies in check. So the match stays on the shelf. There's still the chemicals in the head of the match. It could, could still potentially start a fire, but it's not, because it's just kept where it is. And that's what the Vinaya does for us helps to keep the worst of these kalesas in check. So that's why we come together, we hear the patimoka, we reflect on our sila every day in a monastery, what we say, what we do. This brings up both mindfulness and understanding, even reflecting back on things you said and done, the way you're approaching life, the way your attitude, your views. You're checking back, looking at, and seeing where 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 Kalesa is coming up, where it's you might say spills out in behaviour, and you use the Vinaya as a standard for measuring behaviour, external behaviour, actions, speech, help bring bring up mindfulness, bring the mind back to what is good and correct and supportive of the practice ultimately what is peaceful. When you keep the Vinaya, even if in, internally you still have kilesa bubbling away through our old karma, but it's not spilling out, then you know, there's a certain peacefulness, restraint, composure that comes in our behavior because of the Vinaya. And this 
the Buddha says, is a vital foundation for internalizing the Dhamma, turning our attention inwards, developing the mindfulness, the insight, the understanding to actually go deeper and uproot Kilesa. So we should never underestimate the value of Vinaya. Just to keep monastic training rules is already requiring effort, is the persistent effort. The wiriya requires mindfulness, attentiveness, heedfulness. And often people overlook this because we know the rules and we remember remember them and we intellectually understand the, the rule. But the actual application, practical application on a day-by-day basis requires effort, mindfulness, and understanding, and a constant effort. And even that in itself is already quite a refined practice, quite a, brings a, a major change to a human heart over time. There's no way anyone can keep the Vinaya and, and not experience changes in their heart, in their personality, in the way they do things and so on. If it's just for a short period of time, say like among temporary ordination, well maybe it only has a certain superficial effect, but when practiced for years and years it has a very profound effect on the heart. not yet talking about samadhi or insight or anything else, just keeping Vinaya sincerely, honestly, changes the heart over time. You can see, say, if you're a bhikkhu, then you have to constantly be thinking about how you behave, decisions you make, choices you make. The things you use, we we have rules guiding us so we can't exploit people's generosity or there are uh, faith of laity so we can't just ask people for things even though we think they probably would like to give something to us or help us. We can't just walk up to them and say, give me this, give me that. We have to wait till we're offered help. Even then, sometimes in the interests of training our own kilesas, we sometimes still don't take up offers of help because it's too easy to follow Kilesa and maybe reinforce some form of greed or selfishness by taking up offers of help or different kinds of uh, situations where people come forward. Still we have to consider what's appropriate. Similarly when we have fears or worries arise that we aren't going to get the help, the support we need in different ways, whether it's just food or requisites or medical help or different kinds of assistance. We have fears arise, worries. Will I get this? Will I get that? We can't let that kind of kilesa condition our behavior so that we give in and because of our worries, our anxiety, just start doing the wrong thing. We have to practice restraint in both ways, whether it's greed, whether it's anxiety, fear. These are the mental biases that might affect our behavior. We have to learn to use restraint, effort, patience, using the Vinaya. Can't just give in to every desire, every need, 
you have to consider what's appropriate first. You know, so what the Vinaya is doing, and that's a major practice. And people say when we begin practice, maybe we do a ten-day meditation retreat. You think there's a lot of effort to do that, but just to keep the Vinaya year after year properly probably requires a lot more effort than just doing a meditation retreat. That's why sometimes when new bhikkhus they wonder where all their samadhi and their peaceful meditation went, it's because it's all the effort's gone into keeping the Vinaya, learning how to do that. Doesn't come quickly, takes effort and, and experience until it becomes more natural for us, and then it becomes like a true friend, a good friend. But friendship something you have to cultivate. So the Vinaya as a tool has to be cultivated through experience. Remember when I was with Lumpur Kun my first year as a monk, and his monastery was very fairly new and very very poor. And at the end at the beginning of the rains there's a couple of extra monks temporary monks ordained and we didn't have enough spittoons and me and the other monks thought mm, we need more spittoons we should ask the lay people we don't have enough spittoons but the second monk who understood the situation better and was a very wise restrained monk said we can't ask the lay people they don't have the money to buy spittoons we never ask them for anything because they're very poor I said, what do we do then? We haven't got spittoons for the monks. He said, we make them out of bamboo. So we went off and had the novice cut a very large trunk of bamboo and he saw it up. And where the join is, you get a natural break in the hollow stem of the bamboo. So you can use the join as the base of the spittoon and you saw it maybe... 10 centimeters or 15 centimeters high and then you get a spittoon and if it's a wide large trunk of bamboo it's quite a good sized spittoon totally free and lasts for quite a long time so we got spittoons from bamboo <clears throat> we didn't say anything and then nobody bought spittoons they saw the bamboo spittoons nobody bought them so we assume it's probably true nobody had the money to buy spittoons you see that the Kilesa says, oh, we should just get the lay people to buy a spittoon, get a spittoon, but it doesn't always work like that. That's Kilesa. Sometimes you have to just put the Kilesa aside. That's, that's the matchstick. You're not taking it and striking it. Just leave it on the shelf. So you learn a lesson then. You learn to be a little bit slower with your Kilesas, not to just rush to follow the Kilesa and follow the greed, the desire for the particular requisite. Living there a few months, I got this point very clearly because it was such a poor monastery. Every time we needed something, it was always, there's no money, there's no one to buy it. So we always had to just either go without or make some second-hand, second-best option. In the cold season, I wanted to practice staying in a grot at the back of the forest, quite a big forest, quite quiet. But it was a forest full of a lot of snakes, a lot of centipedes and scorpions, a lot of things, 
on the ground. So the novice suggested I should make a little bamboo bed rather than just sleep on a mat on the ground. So I made a bamboo bread bed. We didn't have any nails. You split the bamboo into strips and then you nail it down to a, a frame of wood, got a little bit of wood onto the bamboo legs. And you nail it down, but there's no nails. You need small little nails. And then lying around. In the monastery we could find some old rusty, ordinary sort of size nails, two or three inch nails, but they were no good. They just split the bamboo more. So we tried just tying bamboo with 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 bamboo that you, you kind of whittle it down into kind of these ties that you can tie around the, the leg of the, the bed and tie around a few a bundle of bamboo to try and make keep it firm on as a as a platform. We didn't do it very well. It wasn't working very well. The village headman saw my not very well made bed, so after a few weeks, a little bag of nails appeared. And the novice was very surprised because he knew those nails cost not very much money, but they did cost money, and nobody had any money. One of the village ladies had bought it, hearing that the Western monk has a rickety bed. So in the end, just being patient, the, uh, the thing we needed came. But at least we knew we didn't ask. Felt embarrassed receiving them, but once they were offered, felt the right thing to do was receive them. It's all about keeping the matchbox on the shelf, not letting the matches strike anything. So whether it's our greed or it's our aversion, not happy with the situation, wanting to complain or get angry about it, or give in to our greed and ask things or try and manipulate the situation to get the things you want. This is learning about how to use the Vinaya to keep the Kalesa in check and then gives you the chance to see them more deeply where they're coming from in the mind. And this is just as good as any 10-day Vipassana retreat because you're actually working with your very sort of essence of your heart, the things that come out of your heart. It's not sort of a temporary practice and then you go back to some other level of practice later. This is it. If you're a monk, then you have the Vinaya to work with day after day. But if you're willing to commit to it, you use it, then it is the vehicle for developing sati and samadhi and insight. It allows you to let go of the coarser kilesas, just keep them in check, not follow them, fence them off, keep them inside so that you can start to calm down enough to just meditate on them rather than battling with them in your ex external behavior, your speech, your actions. You're just quietly watching them, observing them with mindfulness and then contemplating them as an Ichi Dukkha Anatta. You can only do that successfully if you have the Vinaya as a foundation. So you use the Vinaya in that way to keep things in check, to keep the, the mind composed, speech actions composed. Even if inside still things are not right, there's still suffering there, at least externally there's no big problem. 
not having problems with other people or with the world around one. Then it's a matter of applying the techniques, using mindfulness, applying meditation objects regularly, doing sitting, walking meditation to bring up mindfulness, let go of just the normal distraction of mind, the fantasizing and the memorizing of everything. Just letting it go, bringing the mind to the present moment, sitting and using the breath or metta, whatever object, bringing the mind just back to the present moment, not falling into a, a day's sleepiness, not endlessly proliferating, and just with the present moment, breathing in, breathing out, or walking in the present moment with your feet on the ground, touching the ground, the movement of the legs, present moment awareness. <clears throat> Practicing that, letting go of the memories and the fantasies, just keeping the present moment, the mind starts to appreciate the peacefulness, the, the stillness of the present moment. You might say the moment where it starts to appreciate it, I mean, it starts to enjoy it and be happier with it, then that's when samadhi is arising. Whether it's just for a few moments or a, a very deep experience, if the mind is with the present moment using an object, meditation object, then it will, <clears throat> it's starting to be happy there. It's content. It's not rushing off to the future and not caught up in the past. It's just quietly there in the present moment with the object. Relaxed, content, happy. Whether it's for a few minutes, few moments, or for a long, long time during a meditation period. It doesn't matter. Whatever experience one has of the mind, just calming down, it's good, it's the right thing. Even if it's just for a few minutes, a few moments. And this is what we use as our foundation for contemplation, for separating the mind from all objects, from Rupa Dhamma, the physical side of our existence, Nama Dhamma, the contents of the mind. The Rupa Dhamma, seeing, hearing, touching, tasting, smelling. You've got eyes, the Rupa Dhamma, you have an eye, it's a physical thing. You have forms, the things that you see, the colors, the shapes of the world. These are forms, and then there's consciousness that arises, the knowing of, of an image, of seeing. Hearing, you have an ear, it's a form, you have sound, the vibrations through the air of different kinds of sounds going into your ear, stimulating it. So that's the form, and then you have consciousness arising, and then the contents of the mind. You have ear consciousness, and you have waitana, pleasant, unpleasant, neutral often not very aware of waiting. I hear sounds all the time, often not very sure what, what, it, what kind of waiting. But when mindfulness is improved and the mind is calm, maybe you can sense the waiting coming from sounds. Pleasant, unpleasant, neutral. Sanya, the memory and the labeling, 
that we add to that sound, the importance we give to it. And then the tendency towards sankara, the tendency towards mental proliferation based on a sound, a sight, touch. You just touch, you take the sense of touch. When you're mindful, calm, and just contemplate, touch. So there's the touch of air on your skin. Through the day we have cold air at night, warm air in the day. But just being mindful enough to know the touch, heat, cold, pleasant feeling, unpleasant feeling, neutral feeling, awareness of the, the heat, the cold, what it is, but not leading on to any proliferation, They're just knowing heat, cold, <coughs> arising, passing away. Hard, soft, you sit on the ground for a long time, it's hard, or you haven't got a cushion, it's hard. Seek something soft, at the very least stand up if you're sitting down and it's easier on the body for a while until your feet get tired. It's too hard on the feet walking a lot. Seek to sit down or lie down. It's hardness, softness, pressure on the skin, on the uh, sense, nerves, sense endings, nerve endings in your skin. But there's the knowing of that. There's enough mindfulness, you know, pleasant, unpleasant, but not to get caught into proliferation, meaning not to get caught into craving and attachment, leading on to becoming, leading on to birth. Enough mindfulness and calmness of mind just to know the sense contact, sight, sound, taste, smell, touch. And then internally just to know a memory arising, but to know it as a memory, good, bad, indifferent, this is a memory. Random or something you've, you know why you're thinking, why that memory's popped up and what it's all about. You know all about it or it's just random out of the blue, but it's just memory. Fantasies, proliferation, plans, schemes, endless creating things in the mind. Again, enough mindfulness just to see all of that popping out of the middle of your, your heart. See? Enough mindfulness just to know, oh, this is just mental proliferation, to let it go. It's associated with pleasant, unpleasant feelings. It's got its sanya feeding it. When you are calm, even if for only for a few minutes, you start to see these these experiences as they are, without grasping at them and making a lot of taking without taking them personally and making a self out of it, but just knowing a sight as a sight, a sound as a sound, feeling as a feeling, memory as a memory, and so on. Without adding on to it, making anything big or important in the mind. It's just knowing things as they are, just that much, just sound, just sight, just a memory, just a thought, just understanding thought itself. You know, we use thought as a useful tool, in a skillful thinking that we train in, you know, wisely reflecting on the requisites, wisely reflecting on our vinaya, wisely reflecting on truth. And each dukkha anatta, you can, we can use thought as a skillful aid to see and understand truth.
But understanding thought is just thought. It's not me, you. It's not a self. It's not a person. It's my thoughts, your thoughts, other people's thoughts. But they're not. there's not really a self in any of that. It's just thought. Memory is thought. Thought is just thought. Memory is just memory. Having enough mindfulness, enough calm just to see, have a little bit of insight into that. Even if it's only for a few minutes and then back to a normal state of mind where we're not really reflecting very clearly. Even a few moments is better than nothing. Gives you a little bit of clarity that you can keep coming back to, drawing on and improving on. And this is how the spiritual faculties develop. You know, the persistent effort, the faith, keep preserving the faith, persistent effort, mindfulness, samadhi and panya, insight, seeing things as they are rather than as the way we think they are or feel they are or our emotional reactions to things. We're just knowing things as they are, even knowing a kilesa as a kilesa, getting down to the roots of the thing seeing the movements of the mind from when you are still and quiet and then just seeing thoughts, proliferation coming out of the center of that stillness. You know, that's the, the very chemical in the head of the match. It hasn't been, the match is on the shelf still, it hasn't been struck. But the very chemical composition in the head that gives it the potential to strike and, and create fire when your mind is still, you're seeing where that chemical composition is coming from. The movements of the mind, the habits, the habitual identification of things, grasping at self, leading on to emotional reactions, liking, disliking, wanting, needing, hoping, fearing, and so on. When the mind is still, at least you can start to see where all that's coming from. It's coming out of which are a lack of stillness, lack of awareness. Maybe we're only calm enough just to look backwards on what's already just come up. It's not really that we're really seeing Kilesa arise as it arises. We're just seeing just after it's arisen. But that's still good enough because it gives you some better perspective not to follow it. But just seeing our Kilesa is like this. Kilesa is like this, it comes up, it's got this nature, it darkens the mind, it confuses the mind, it leads to mental agitation, leads to lack of peace, it's disturbing. We say it blemishes the mind. You know, when we begin practice, we haven't been practicing in the past we're so used to clay so we don't see it. So it's a bit like a wall in your room, your house. You've painted it once so it's nice and clean and new. But then over the years you're living there you don't realise how gradually it becomes a little bit blemished. The colour fades. This it becomes discoloured. You know, originally a sort of a pale cream wall. Gradually, especially around the edges, it, the colour changes and it gets grime on it. And if you were to see the original, after, say, a few years, you see the original wall, 
and then you see the wall as it is now after five years, you realize it's actually totally different, it's discolored, it's changed. Because you're living with it, you don't notice, you don't really see the change coming, and you don't notice how it has changed. The kilesa is like that, we're so used to it that we don't see it. It's only when you stop the mind, you calm it down with meditation and mindfulness and then investigate, contemplating, then you see the change, you see the difference. And you can see kilesa as kilesa. You know, oh, greed, anger, delusion, it's like this, greed is like this. You can see it is the cause of suffering, it stirs the mind up, it leads to all kinds of suffering. You can see that, see it for what it is. So Kalesa is just Kalesa. It's not me, mine, not my Kalesa, their Kalesa. It's just Kalesa. And its nature is to discolor the mind, blemish, darken the mind. When the mind is quiet, then you're in touch with the more pure, peaceful, good-colored mind, well-colored mind, the true color of the mind, or true, truly transparent mind, no color at all, perhaps. When you experience some, some stillness, then what discolors the mind becomes obvious. Something you didn't notice before becomes obvious. So if you keep returning to quietness through mindfulness practice and then in, investigating the truth, you keep exposing Kalesa for what it is, so gradually the mind lets go of it, doesn't want it there, sees it as something that's not good, not helpful, not conducive to liberation and freedom. So it's a path of Persistent effort based on confidence in the teachings, the more we hear, if we're still doubting, then you know, keep listening, keep looking. That helps to set aside the doubts and then brings up some of the energy and effort required. And effort is always directed to bringing up more mindfulness. As more mindfulness arises, then we experience some samadhi, some stillness, quietness of mind, and with that, our investigation of Dhamma gives rise to insight more clearly. These five faculties mature together, supporting each other. Maybe after a few weeks or a few months, not very easy to see whether there's much progress. But if you've been practicing a few years, you should be able to see some changes going on. And that's where the process feeds itself again, you go back and you say, oh, well, there's, there's some change, some improvement here, and then more confidence comes from that. So the whole supportive conditions for the practice are increased, improved, and the five faculties keep developing in this way. So I'll leave you with these words to contemplate tonight. 